0: Good evening everybody. So glad. I'm so thankful to be here. I hope you are as well and just uh, rejoicing uh, in the fact that we have an opportunity tonight uh, for a time of worship where we can reflect upon and celebrate our king's sacrifice. Amen. That's what we've just been singing about. And uh, to say that the sacrifice of the king seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Something that maybe we sh- we wouldn't expect when we look at uh, king- the kings of the world to say the sacrifice of the king. And the reason is because uh, kings don't typically, as, as, as at least the kings that we know uh, from our world and society, kings are not uh, individuals that sacrifice for their subjects. The kings that we're accustomed to and we've been exposed to over the history of the world are are men who seek self-glory who seek to be exalted before the people, but they're not willing to go out of their way to do that which is good for their subjects, for the people under them. Um, they don't have a genuine concern by and large for the people that they rule over. And yet, that was not the case with our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Our King. He sacrificed for us. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, and verse 4, and this is our King, beloved, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us, have like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That is speaking of the sacrifice of our king. What he was willing to do for sinners such as us. When you think about Jesus, beloved, we think about a king who who suffered. And why did he suffer? And why did he die? Well, it was twofold, right? On the one hand, he suffered because he wanted to glorify his father and fulfill his father's will. He came in subjection under his father and fulfill all righteousness. And secondly, uh, we know that He did it for our good, as our brother Ian just said a few minutes ago. When we think about the, the the cross of Jesus Christ, we think about the fact that Jesus did it because He loves us. Because of His tender mercy and compassion for us. So He did it for His Father's good pleasure and for our sake who have believed. And so tonight, in a few minutes, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper uh, together. But before that, I want us to take some time to reflect upon the sacrifice of our king. And not only that, the sacrifice and his suffering, but also to reflect upon the significance of Jesus' suffering and his death for us. Because we need to think about that as well. So I want us to consider for a moment the sufferings of Christ and then its significance. There was, of course, Jesus' emotional distress, wasn't there? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? How Jesus there, it says that His sweat became like drops of blood while in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some have said that uh, Jesus suffered from a condition in His humanity called hematidrosis, which can occur under severe emotional distress. And they describe how tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, and thus, thus mixing with uh, blood with sweat, our Lord Jesus experienced that severe emotional distress, even in the midst of His prayer. And that condition often leads to dehydration and, and exhaustion. Do you ever stop and consider how how unimaginably tired and exhausted Jesus must have been already in the Garden of Gethsemane when He came and the authorities would arrest Him? He was a 100% human, Beloved. Yes, 100% God, but 100% human. And he experienced that humanity and the weakness and the vulnerability that came with that humanity even in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was only the beginning. There was also the shame and the ridicule, wasn't it? Before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest, he experienced mocking and striking and slapping and spitting How many of us have experienced that kind of ridicule and embarrassment and shame at the hands of people? Maybe in a small way we have, but not like our Lord. His face must have been swollen from the slaps and the beatings that He received in the temple. And beloved, that was only the beginning. Think about His physical suffering. He received a form of torture at that time called scourging scourging where a victim was was stripped of his clothing his hands tied to a post above his head and the Roman soldier would then take a whip made of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of of lead attached near the ends of each and then with full force that whip was brought down hard upon Jesus's shoulders repeatedly and upon his back and upon his legs Initially, the whip would cut through the skin. And then with each successive whip, it would cut through into the tissues, causing more and more deep damage. With the result that there was heavy bleeding, his body full of lacerations from his shoulders down, exposed muscles, exposed ligaments, blood vessels, and perhaps even internal organs exposed after multiple whips. Then there was his public humiliation before the Roman authorities. The Roman soldiers mocked him repeatedly and severely. And they mocked him, saying that, saying that he wasn't really a king. With their actions, they, they threw a robe across his shoulders, which were already bleeding profusely. And they put a scepter in his hand and slapped him and spit upon him. And they put a crown of thorns, long thorns, and pressed him upon his scalp, producing more and more heavy bleeding. I wonder how many of us reflect upon that. And he'd suffered that way, beloved, because he wanted to go to the cross because he loved us. Amen? But that was not all, was it? Then he was crucified. He was crucified. He died by crucifixion. And you know, crucifixion in the Roman world, crucifixion was utter humiliation, utter shame. It was reserved for the, for the worst of slaves and criminals. Listen, the Romans were expert torturers, expert executioners. They mastered the art of painful, slow, torturous death. Their goal was ultimately the death of the criminal, but they rejoiced in prolonging the method of torture, so that others would never dare to challenge Rome. You were a public spectacle to others. It was done publicly, usually by a busy highway, so that everybody could see. It was utter humiliation. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter two and verse seven. That Jesus' uh, his humility was shown and that He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He's talking about His humanity, that Jesus wrapped Himself in humanity. He added humanity to His deity. But then He says this concerning His humility, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He says that even death on a cross, because he's trying to make the point that to die on a cross was the lowest of the low. And that is what Jesus did, even death on a cross. There was a well-known study done by a medical doctor describing what crucifixion must have been like. And he writes this, listen. The cross was placed on the ground upon which the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against a wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explore in the brain, to explode in the brain. The nails and the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against a rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in some some gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death. Creeping through its tissues. Finally, He can allow His body to die. All of this, the Bible records with, and they crucified Him. And they crucified Him. So we often don't reflect upon the excruciating pain and agony that our Lord went through, even in His humanity. And yet this is the suffering that our King experienced, beloved. And through all of this, First Peter tells us that He he did not revile in return. He did not retaliate in return. Think about that. He who had infinite power, infinite might, the ability to call upon legions of angels, He willingly submitted to His Father's will because of His Father's glory and because of His love for us. He went through all of this to fulfill all righteousness Isaiah 53.10 says that the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord was pleased to crush him. He laid down our lives for his father. And he laid down our lives, his life for us, beloved, that we might have hope. That we might have hope. Remember what he said in John 15.13? Our brother Ian already quoted this earlier. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And you know what? Jesus went right to the cross and did just that, right? Because of His great love for us, He was willing to go through all of this for us. Well, this was His suffering, beloved. Everything that He went through and more. And He did it joyfully and willingly in submission to His Father's will. But what is the significance of Jesus' sacrificial death? Because we might look back in history and say, Well, many people were crucified like that. There were thousands of crucifixions during the the times of the Romans. What makes Jesus' death so different? And the Bible tells us, beloved, that it was supremely different, completely different. And the question is, how so? What is the significance of Jesus' sacrificial death? Well, I have three words for us. It was substitutionary. It was propitiatory. And then finally... It was reconciliatory. It was a substitutionary death. In other words, in his suffering and death, Jesus stood in the place of each of us. Personalize that. He represented you, sinner saved by grace. He represented you, sinner, if you would repent from your sins tonight and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He died in our place. And not everyone could represent us, right? It had to be Jesus, beloved. He was the only candidate, the only one who qualified as the perfect, blameless, spotless God-man. The perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter 1.19 says this, You, speaking to believers, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers. But listen to this. But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. Jesus was our perfect substitute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him first peter 2:24 he jesus he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed first peter 3:18 For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Oh, what great love for sinners, beloved. Tonight we're reminded that by taking our place, Jesus showed his great love for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's exactly what Jesus did. Amen? So it was a substitutionary death. It was a propitiatory death, beloved. Propitiation refers to a wrath-satisfying sacrifice. Jesus was the the wrath-satisfying sacrifice. That idea of propitiation really is, is rooted in God's character. We know the great reality that God is holy. He is set apart. No one compares to God. And He's absolutely pure with no moral defect. God is holy and He's just. He only does that which is right and His judgments are only right, ever. He never makes a mistake in His judgments. So because of His holiness and because of His justice and that divine character, God must punish all law-breaking and every single sin. We cannot understand that because we don't share in that perfect character of His. He must punish sin. He cannot sweep any sin under the rug. Not even one sin, beloved. Not even one sin. Otherwise, He could not be holy and He could not be just. It would be against His nature not to punish sin. This includes every sin. Every thought of yours. Every evil motive that isn't for the glory of God. Every wrong sinful attitude that isn't in conformity to what God desires of us. Any wicked word, any action, any sinful pursuit that trumps self above God. All of those are sins that must be punished, you see. So that none of us are acquitted because all of us are sinners before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to God's perfect standard. All of us, all of us are sinners before Him, beloved. And all of us deserve God's punishment. Every sin must be paid for. Jesus, though He never sinned then... Became, it says according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, a curse for us. Jesus himself suffered and died, beloved, to satisfy the wrath of God aimed toward you and I. He took upon himself the deadly bullet, if you will. Got in front of us. And he took upon that bullet that was aimed in our direction called the wrath of God. Jesus died to save us from the wrath and the judgment of God. What a beautiful truth that is. Romans 3.24 says that God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. In other words, Christ's sacrifice was a a wrath-appeasing sacrifice, a wrath-satisfying sacrifice. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And He, Jesus, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, in the words of Colossians 2.14. Jesus' sacrifice... Paid the massive debt that we owed, beloved, that was hostile to us, and he nailed it to the cross, wiped the slate clean. Amen? What is the result then of Christ's wrath-satisfying sacrifice? Well, the result is that God is no longer against us, but he is for us in Christ Jesus. He's for us. His just anger and hostility is turned away, and He now, beloved, looks upon you favorably if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and given your life to Him. God's riches are now yours at Christ's expense. He looks upon you with favor and blessing. As the beautiful song in Christ alone says, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, what does it say? The wrath of God was satisfied. Amen? satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i live it was a wrath appeasing sacrifice finally his death was a reconciliatory sacrifice reconciliation you know the term is a relational term right when we speak of the need for reconciliation, we're talking about the need for two opposing parties who are in conflict with one another, to, to be at peace with one another, to reconcile with one another. And normally in, in our human interactions, what do we expect when somebody offends us? We expect that person to make the initiative, the, that, that person who has offended the other to make the initiative to make that relationship right. And yet when we look upon what happened at the cross, we see that God himself, beloved, the one who was offended, took the initiative to pursue sinners like us, to reconcile us to himself, you see. Because of his great love, God initiated reconciliation with us. Each of us existed outside of Christ And some of us exist currently outside of Christ in a broken relationship with God. We're hostile rebels and enemies of God. We need to be reconciled to our Maker. We have offended a holy God. And yet God, in His infinite mercy and grace, has pursued us in Christ Jesus, right? He has initiated the possibility of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God. And what did God do? Who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God initiates reconciliation, beloved. He did it in Christ Jesus. Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture are found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, without that divine initiative, beloved, there is no possibility of reconciliation. There is no possibility... Of peace, many of us can raise our hands right now and give testimony, and Lord willing, even in our response in a little while in song, I pray that we would sing just uh, in, full of gratitude and thanksgiving because God has reconciled us to himself in human history. you you personally repented, turned from your sins, and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was this relational peace. That began with you and God, and joy, and forgiveness, and the realization that even God forgives in Christ Jesus the guilt of your sin, right? The guilt. Now we are children, beloved, amen? Children adopted into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. We are now friends of God, no longer His enemies at enmity with Him. No longer does God stand in battle array against us as in a battlefield. But now He is our friend. He is our Heavenly Father. He is our precious Redeemer. It would be foolish of us tonight, and it would be foolish of me, to presume that every single person sitting in here tonight has made things right with God. That you have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. That you've been reconciled to your Maker. So I want to ask you tonight, have you made peace with God? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and been reconciled to your Maker? May it not be that you are here tonight hearing about Jesus Christ, everything that He suffered, how He was ridiculed, how He was rejected, how He went to the cross and suffered as He did. May it not be that you've heard and and you've, you've sung even about His great love for us, and yet you have not turned from your sins because you count the passing pleasures of sin here in this world and earthly treasures more important than Jesus Christ. May it not be that that may be you tonight. May tonight be the night... That you make that heartfelt commitment to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you may be saved. That you may be reconciled to God. That you may pass from death to life. Because you see, Jesus' sacrifice doesn't apply to every person. It only applies to you if you turn from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it may be applied to you. And so my prayer and my hope as one of the pastors here, is that you would talk to somebody tonight. Or that in the quietness of your heart, you would speak to God. And you would come clean before Him. And that you would make peace with God, your Maker. And if you need help, anybody around you would be more than happy to talk to you and to pray with you. I pray that you would do that tonight. And for the rest of us, beloved, who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ What a beautiful, beautiful thing that we can come before him with hands washed clean right from sin and sing with open hearts and fullness of devotion to him because of the fact that we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, oh, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his perfect life. The life that none of us in here could ever live. In fullness of perfection of attitude and motive and desire and words and actions and in pursuit and in goals. Everything that your son did was perfect. Thank you for his death, for his suffering on the cross for our sins. That makes atonement for our sins. Thank you for forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ. Thank you for peace that we can experience on this earth that surpasses all understanding. Thank you for joy and hope, even in the midst of difficult things here on this earth, because of Jesus' death on the cross, that we can have hope. And even now, Father, as we partake of communion, may we do so in a serious and yet celebratory manner, because we have much to celebrate. We have much to be thankful for. We have much to find joy in, Lord. Oh, Father, thank You so much for the fact that because of the cross of Christ and His resurrection, that we know for those of us who are in Christ that there is sure forgiveness, that You even forgive us of our guilt, the guilt of our sin. I pray, Lord, that we might be a people that would be propelled tonight to pursue holiness, personal holiness and unity with one another. That we may be people who are driven by an inner heart of humility and and love for you and for one another. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.